Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 705 of the podcast and it is Friday the 28th of July 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Daniel Wilcox about writing fast and how to manage your time if you want to achieve a lot as a writer and also how to look after yourself so the process is more sustainable. We also talk about collaboration and co-writing with other authors within the same genres, as well as book marketing, ambition and other mindset things. You might have heard Dan on one of his other podcasts, The Other Stories or Activated Authors, and we have a great discussion which I know you'll find useful, and that is coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing things, Draft a Digital this week announced it has acquired selfpubbookcovers.com, a pioneering marketplace that has offered thousands of one-of-a-kind pre-made book cover designs from thousands of professional book cover designers. This acquisition coincides with the announcement of a new department called Author Success, aiming to help authors and indie publishers reduce the time, cost and complexity of procuring essential publishing services. This new division will be headed by Nick Thacker, Vice President of Author Success. And Nick was on the show just a few weeks ago when we were talking about developments in AI. So Nick is an author and also works at draft digital So this is exciting. draft digital continues to add everything into its sort of end-to-end business for indie authors and indie publishers. So go check that out. Links in the show notes as ever. And on the self-publishing advice podcast last week, as this goes out, Orna Ross and I went through the different kinds of energy you need in your author business, starting, pushing through and finishing. And we give examples from our own experience. Um, Orna and I recorded that last week and, and basically the topic resonated. I had so many emails and comments and things about this when I had mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago. I thought we would go into it further with that um, show that Orna and I do together. So yes, yeah, that's the self-publishing advice podcast on creative energy uh, across your business. So if you're struggling to start, if you're in the messy middle, uh, or if you struggle to finish projects, all of that, uh, those are stages in the creative publishing business processes. And we go through all of that. That's the self-publishing advice podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Then big news this week in social media, the end of Twitter. (laughs) As Elon Musk rebrands as X. And if you are a Twitter user, you will be going through this. And I thank Elon for this decision because it has helped me to separate from a site that has really been my social media home since 2009 when I first got on Twitter. I met many of my now friends in real life on the site. It has brought me business opportunities, speaking opportunities around the world. It has brought me income. It has brought me much knowledge. I am so grateful for what Twitter has been for me since 2009. It has been so important to my life as a writer. Before I got on Twitter, I had no author friends. I felt very isolated. Social media became for me exactly what it should be. And it was because I started in late 2008, 2009 that it was Twitter. Um, But it's so interesting because... Yeah, I know many people left last year when Elon Musk bought it, but I have found it hard to separate. But this feels like a proper shift. This feels like a proper break. And there is no question that Twitter is gone. My usage has already changed, but now I can like fully separate <laughs> from it. Now, I'm still going to keep my account for now because essentially I use it more as a listening post than a 
social media. I'm not using it for social media. I'm using it to mainly the AI stuff. It's turned into an AI newsfeed, really, for me, completely different to how I have used Twitter for the last however many years it is since 2009, what's that, 14 years I've been on Twitter. So I used to, really for the last decade, I guess, I have used Feedly. I would go through, um, you know, and you can import RSS feeds. So I would go through the blog posts and I would find useful articles and I would share them on my Twitter stream. And that, I haven't done that for a while, but now that is completely over. I share useful stuff here on this podcast and that is it, basically. I get my information from other podcasts, from a selection of email newsletters. And as I said, I will still use X as a listening post, but I won't be actually using it much as a creator. Now, I wanted to bring this up as an example of a site that people never thought would go away. But just like MySpace back in the day, some of you might not even remember MySpace. Um, Twitter, at least as it was, is now gone. If you had built a business on Twitter or relied on it for your audience or your traffic, that is over. And personally, I have sent a lot of traffic to both my sites and other sites over the years. And that is now stopping. So I'm not lamenting the end of things. I am a future facing person. I'm always looking forwards rather than backwards. It has been very good for me for the last 14 years. Um, But time to change. (laughs) Another change. But I wanted you to think about not what Twitter means to you. That's not the point. The point is, what are the other companies that we assume will not disappear? companies that you think are stable, uh, all companies that are not in our control, which is pretty much everything, can change or disappear. And this is another reminder to consider how independent are you really? Do you have multiple streams of income for your books and in the rest of your life? How are you dependent on one company for your income, for your book sales, for uh, all the things that you do? And how do you want to redesign things over the coming months and years? So you're not just dependent on one place. Now, on the social media side, it's not clear still whether any one site will replace what Twitter has been or whether social media will just keep fragmenting, which is probably what it is. For example, a lot of nonfiction people have gone to LinkedIn. Um, Some people have gone to Threads. There's Mastodon and Blue Sky. Obviously, you could just double down on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. And talking of TikTok, very interesting. They this week, as a response to this, presumably, introduced text only posts. So, <laughs> which brings up, I've always said, oh, I'll never do TikTok because I don't want to do video. But who knows? I am not saying yet. I mean, I have gone on threads uh, for JF Penn Author. I don't know whether I will use TikTok for text. I don't know whether TikTok will work for text, but who knows? I might even try it now. But pro- probably not, to be honest. I, I feel like giving up a social network gives you space for other things. And I'm ready to let some space happen. So yeah, this is still in flux. One really important thing is do not try to be on everything or will or you will just go crazy. So yeah, don't go on everything, pick what you want to do, pick your um, sort of your angle. So of course, for me on the creative pen side, podcasting is my primary way I connect. It's my primary way to put content out there, content marketing. It's another business stream, another um, income stream, all of this. It's a connection with the community, with you. So for me, podcasting has become, I guess, what Twitter may have been. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. All these things play a different part in our creative lives. But yeah, I wanted to talk about that and just have you really think about how things are for you and the the sites that you might rely on right now. And even if you fast forward a decade, how might things change? So in AI news, futurist stuff, useful stuff, I wanted to link to a great newsletter by academic Ethan Mollick and a really good Substack 
basically he goes through in this in this particular example it's at oneusefulthing.org and I'll link to it in the show notes so he goes through a whole load of useful things you can use AI tools for using a variety of them including Bing chat which is free so he's basically this post is superhuman what can AI do in 30 minutes so in 30 minutes he used AI tools to co-create a market positioning document write an email campaign develop a website a logo a hero image a script an animated video social campaigns for five platforms and some other things and it really is incredible so he basically gave himself 30 minutes to work with these tools to become an AI marketing strategist social media manager and all these types of things it's a very good article he has a lot of very good articles also if you're a teacher or you're in training education he is a professor he's a teacher and he talks a lot about how AI is impacting education so if that's your area you might find this really useful and as I keep saying to people remember as Walt Whitman says in Song of Myself I am large I contain multitudes So you are allowed (laughs) to be worried about the existential risk of AI and not agree with some of the ways that people use it. You are also allowed at the same time to try it out for things that might save you time in social media or ads or email copy or website stuff, other things that will save you time. Please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the old adage goes. And that is a cliche for a reason. (laughs) So, yes, whether you prefer the cliche or the Walt Whitman quote, (laughs) then, yes, you can be both concerned and also enthusiastic, as I am myself. If you do want to write with AI tools, then check out Jay Thorne's new book, Three Story Method, discovery writing with chat gpt um, ai powered storytelling so jay has a couple of books now on writing with chat gpt so that is useful i also want to mention links in the show notes as ever also you can use ai tools to analyze your writing now i am just super thrilled by the availability of the claude 100k model so claude so like what you have to think about all these models is they're they're different systems they're trained differently they have different um it's very hard to find the right language but they're almost like a different brain or brains to collaborate with so claude is a different model to chat gpt or gpt4 uh, but claude 100k on poe.com, so poe.com, basically allows you to analyse up to around 75,000 words. So I can upload a whole book and then ask questions of that book. Now, as ever, read the terms and conditions of these things. Personally, I have no issue with uploading my work. Uh, These are copyrighted books that have been published for years. These are... uh, Yeah, they're clearly my books. So I'm a discovery writer. I'm an intuitive writer. I have never written fiction, certainly, to market. And I've never really understood tropes. I mean, you might laugh at this, but I... I just have never really understood how people could write with tropes in mind. I mean, but then I've never been a plotter, never been an outliner. Um, But I'm almost doing this in a reverse fashion. And this is super helping me with my shadow book. Um, So Claude is helping me analyse my books. Now, this is hard to explain, but I've made a video for my patrons at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen and also sent it out to those who attended my AI webinars. But um, you can do it yourself. As I said, go to poe.com, P-O-E.com. It's a paid subscription. It's only like $20 a month or something. You can upload a PDF of your book. It can analyse, as I said, up to around 75,000 words. Then you can ask it questions. So I've been asking, what are the tropes in this book, both the plot tropes and the emotional tropes? And boy, am I discovering a whole load of interesting stuff about myself, including... something which is I always say that I don't write romance and of course I did help my mum uh, co-write with uh, as Penny Appleton but as JF Penn I'm always like I don't write romance but what is hilarious is all my books have romantic subplots 
The Arcane series has a second chance romance with Morgan and Jake played out over 12 books so far, with more to come. The Matt Walker trilogy is actually forbidden love across borders, in this case, cross borders um, uh, between two worlds. It's dark fantasy, which is in the vein of Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor, which I love. And I did write with that book in mind. But it's so interesting because you can also say to Poe, what are some other books that are like this? And it will give you other books. It's so fascinating. Desecration and the book of uh, Brooke and Daniel crime series have a growing romance at its heart. And I'm like, okay, why did I not even realise this? Uh, I'm also finding a ton of really interesting things that I'm using to build out my Shopify store, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, doing images. Uh, also, it's writing much better advertising copy once I ask it to analyse the tropes. So now I can upload the book. It can write a sales description based on reading the book, which is super magic. And it can also write really good ad copy based on the emotional side of things, which again, I've never been able to do. So um, you can also generate lists of questions for book clubs. You can do draft blog posts, email topics. And of course, you could do this with a nonfiction as well. You can ask it to write you a video script or social media post or whatever you need. So as ever, read the terms of service and I do not do tech support for AI tools. So please don't email me to say, how can I do this? If you want to learn more, and if you are AI positive or AI curious, check out the Facebook group AI Writing for Authors. And there are lots of authors, many thousands of authors now using these tools. So head on over there. Links in the show notes. So in my personal news, jfpenbooks.com is now live. So go and check it out. Have a look. See what you think. It is my fiction first site, jfpenbooks.com. You can use discount coupon LAUNCH, all caps. That's LAUNCH in all caps for 15% off your order for the first month until the end of August. And this is valid for print books as well as ebooks and audiobooks. You will see how I'm doing things, how I'm bundling things. And I just mentioned sort of figuring out the tropes and I'm adding these trope images into the uh, books as I go through. But I'd be really interested in what you think about it. Um, links in the show notes as ever. But yeah, I am very excited about having it. I still have some more finessing to do, but it is live. I'll be adding to it a lot over time. And as I've mentioned before, I really see my the future of my business as direct first, direct only, some direct only products. So like my hardback for pilgrimage is not available anywhere else. Um, and then direct first. So I launched Catacomb, which I'll talk about in a minute, on JF Pen Books to my list. And it's on pre-order at Amazon and Kobo and Apple and all the other places. And uh, so jfpenbooks.com for fiction, creativepenbooks.com for nonfiction. These are the engines of my business for the next 15 years. Like I really see this. And um, for people who've said, oh, but you know, isn't Shopify, like, aren't you being dependent on that? But Shopify is like WordPress. So I've built WordPress has been the basis of my business for the last 15 years. And Shopify, I feel, is, is the basis of my business for the next 15 years. It is a platform and you build an e-commerce store on top of it. So it's much more in your control. And I'll be talking more about that uh, towards, towards my 15 year anniversary, which is in December. Um, I, I started this site in December 2008. So this December, 2023 is my 15 year anniversary and I will be changing a few things but don't worry the podcast will continue it'll just yeah anyway I'll talk about that towards the end of the year but let's talk about Catacomb which is out now in ebook paperback and large print formats from jfpenbooks.com it's on pre-order at other stores available 4th of August 2023 and here is the blurb in case it might be your kind of thing Walker Kane didn't believe in monsters until they took his daughter. Beneath the streets of Edinburgh, an ancient evil waits. Every year, the Grensloach, a prehistoric monster of insatiable hunger, demands a human sacrifice in exchange for the city's continued prosperity. 
a secret society known only as the Cabal, has overseen this sinister ritual for centuries, binding Edinburgh to a grim legacy of terror. When ex-military search and rescue officer Walker Kane's estranged daughter Emily is taken to sate the monster's appetite, he plunges into a race against time through a treacherous underworld of danger. Aided by a mythology-obsessed librarian and a daredevil urban explorer with secrets of her own, Walker and his makeshift team must face nightmares at every turn to reach Emily before she is devoured. The deeper they delve into Edinburgh's serpentine catacomb, the more their resolve is tested by the mutated monsters of the volcanic depths and the violence of the cabal. To save his daughter, Walker will sacrifice everything, even his own humanity, in a heart-stopping confrontation with the monster at the heart of the labyrinth. A standalone action-adventure horror novella from USA Today best-selling author J.F. Penn joined the exploration into depths that were never meant to be disturbed. The secrets of the catacomb are waiting to be unearthed, if you dare. So there you go. You can buy Catacomb in ebook, paperback and large print formats from jfpenbooks.com. It's on pre-order at the other stores. Of course, I would love you to buy it from my store, but very happy for you to buy or borrow it from the library or whatever anywhere else. I even made a launch video for the first time in ages, which is on the blog and it's on my Instagram and Facebook at jfpenauthor and also on my X profile at The Creative Pen. So in terms of the creative wheel turning again, I am deep into my shadow book. I spent pretty much all day yesterday and exploded my brain (laughs) on it. It's still in flux. I have around 30,000 words and I have a lot more to research and write, but it is becoming more clear to me, especially based on the survey responses, which and also your comments on the discussion with Michael Brent, because it's clear that people really misunderstand what the shadow is. The shadow is not about horror or erotica or, you know, violence and all of that kind of thing. The shadow is whatever you are repressing, whatever you turn away from. And it's very interesting to analyse my books because I'm actually learning quite a lot about that. And the book will be more like the successful author mindset. So if you've read my successful author mindset, it is kind of psychology, it's personal stuff. So I'm going to have part memoir, part psychology, Uh, And I'm still trying to figure it out. And the the aim of the book is to help you create from your shadow side and potentially figure out what's in your shadow from your own writing. Everyone has a shadow. It's not something that's like, oh, only people who write horror have a shadow. (laughs) People who write horror probably have shadows about other things. As Michael Brent and I were talking about, uh, some, some of the things that are unacceptable to some people are fine with others. So yeah, I'll read again a quote from that I read last week, but I'm reading it again because I I want to get the point through um, from Dr. Connie Zvig, whose book, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul, I found very useful. So she says, the shadow is that part of us that lies beneath or behind the light of awareness. It contains our rejected unacceptable traits and feelings. It also contains our hidden gifts and talents that have remained unexpressed or unlived. As Carl Jung put it, the essence of the shadow is pure gold. And I think for many of us as writers, writing a novel has been almost pushed into the shadow and if you're listening to this you have brought it out of the shadow and is something that now you're going to do or write your memoir or write your non-fiction book or your kids book or whatever you have been pushing aside for years you're now doing um but of course this is it's <laughs> it's a forever process it's a really interesting process so yes i would love y- you if you haven't done the survey so far please do the survey before the end of august 2023 you can find the survey at jfpen.com forward slash shadow survey jfpen.com forward slash shadow survey or email me your thoughts joanna at the 
And my plan is to do a Kickstarter on the shadow book, whatever the actual title is. I have about 10 different titles and subtitles. I haven't quite decided on it yet. Um, But this book, I will probably do a Kickstarter. I want to do it before the end of the year. That is, I was going to do it in 2024, but I feel I feel an urgency about this that is important to me. So yeah, you can expect that Kickstarter as soon as I have the pre sign up page, I will let you know, but I need to know what the book's called first. So I would probably expect to be putting that up for um, potential, I should know what it is by September, and then I'll run the Kickstarter in October with the aim of getting signed books out before Christmas. That is my plan. But yes, it will be similar to my successful author mindset book in the kind of the size. This is not going to be a massive book, but it will be a very deep book. And I hope it will really help you. Right. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments. Quite a few people commenting about the shadow. Stephanie said, I didn't imagine being so entertained by an episode about the shadow side, but I howled laughing as you and Michael Brent recounted things your parents told you about the adult world. My own parents were very forthright, but a friend of mine said when her mother gave her the sex talk, she put a dish towel over her face while she explained the logistics. My friend still has nightmares about it. Great episode. And at K9 Hannibal on YouTube said, I was leery wanting to listen to this episode, thinking it was going to be all horror, horror, horror. I'm so glad I listened. Spoiler alert, it wasn't all about horror. It was brilliant stuff that can be applied to all types of writing. Way to go, Joanna and Michael Brent. Thank you. And that is kind of my point. This this shadow, everyone has a shadow. <laughs> Whoever you are, uh, everyone has one. And at Gladys Strickland said something similar. This was very helpful. The information in the introduction, as well as the interview with Michael Brent, helped me better understand the shadow side. In fact, my mind is swirling with ideas I can use for writing projects. Thanks to you both. And finally, thanks to Josh Gentry, who sent a picture from his car drinking a pink slushy, says listening while trying to stay cool in the American Southwest. So uh, you can still X me or whatever the tweets will be called at the creative pen for now. Send me pictures of where you're listening or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. You can email me pictures. <laughs> Leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So this episode is sponsored by Ingram Spark. Now I use Ingram Spark to print and distribute my self-published print books wide because Ingram Spark helps me share my story with the world. And yes, when I publish the books on uh, JF Pen Books and CreativePenBooks.com, I also publish on Ingram Spark and KDP Print in order to reach those other markets too. So as I said, I will be direct first and direct only for some things, but I will still use and I still recommend Ingram Spark. If you want bookstores to order your books, you have to be on Ingram Spark. So why even consider it? Well, if you only use KDP Print for your print books, bookstores, libraries, universities and print-on-demand sites in many countries will not even consider your book because you need to offer a discount and also you need to appear in their catalogues. Plus, a lot of these places will never order from Amazon for obvious reasons. If you care about getting your books into these places, including libraries, which I personally think is super important, you need to go wide with your print books. And remember, this is not about KU, which is for ebooks. Even if you are exclusive with ebooks, you can still do print only with Ingram Spark. You will have access to over 40,000 retailers, independent bookstores, libraries, schools and universities, chain bookstores and more across a global network of distributors, including bookstores like Foils, Blackwells and Waterstones in the UK, as well as Bookshop.org, Booktopia in Australia and New Zealand, Chapters Indigo in Canada, Walmart, Target and loads of independent stores in the USA. Of course, it means your book will be available to order, but you will still have to drive demand. But since having my books on Ingram Spark, I've had many people send me pictures of my print books in libraries. I've had them sold at book fairs, conventions and in physical stores. 
You can choose to use returns, but it's not necessary. You can choose your discount percentage. You can also bulk order. For example, if you're speaking somewhere and you want back of the room copies, or if you work direct with schools or bookstores, they you can ship directly there. It all works very well. The best part, Ingram Spark now has free book set up for print or ebooks and offers free revisions on your book in the first 60 days, which is when you are most likely to find that errant typo. So what are you waiting for? Share your story with the world and head over to ingramspark.com. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating this show is sponsored by my patrons and they especially support the in-between episodes on AI. And if you support the show, you'll get the extra Q&A every month, which when I answer your questions on anything, craft, business, mindset, AI stuff. And as I mentioned, I've sent out a video this week on how I'm using Poe. So who knows, I might do more of that kind of thing. But yes, thanks to new and returning patrons this week, Danielle Giel and S&J. You can support the show with just a couple of dollars or euros or pounds or whatever the currency is. There's lots of currency supported. This is less than a coffee a month. Or if you're feeling generous, you can support the show for more than an, a coffee. <laughs> a couple of coffees, maybe. I do drink a lot of coffee. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Daniel Wilcox is the international best-selling author of over 60 books, including horror, sci-fi and non-fiction. He's also an award-winning podcaster, author coach and speaker and runs the Activated Author Community. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. I am incredibly excited to be here. And before we start, I will say that this is this is a big moment for me because I've been listening to you since the start of my author journey in 2014. So I'm glad we finally got here. Ah, oh, 2014. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems so long ago now. <laughs> um, but no, fantastic. So you're almost at a decade and you've done a lot. It's very exciting. But first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and publishing. I've always been interested in reading Writing was never something that I kind of foresaw as a career because I never thought it was achievable to become a writer. It just wasn't a thing that was on my radar. But I've always studied sort of English. I did some writing and things throughout university. But it wasn't until the Christmas of 2013, 2014 that I got gifted from a secret Santa a book of Stephen King short stories. And I was reading through these. And at the time, I was a nonfiction proofreader and copy editor doing something out of other people's work. And I was reading these stories and just going like, these are like, I, I didn't understand the medium of short stories very well and obviously if you're going to start anywhere start with Stephen King but this collection each story was so individual and unique and in depth for such a short amount of time that it kind of just started putting fingers to keyboard and around early 2014 I then discovered KDP and I had an old stage play that I'd written for the university that got nominated to go to the Edinburgh Fringe and I thought oh let's experiment and see if I can turn this into a book and I had no expectations of what that would look like. I, a couple of weeks later, ended up with this book in my lap and then started thinking, well, if I can do this, well, maybe I can write a short story and ended up writing a novella called Sins of Smoke that I ended up publishing in October of 2015 that went to number one in the horror charts. But that whole experience of just putting stuff out there, I was like, this is fun. I just want a book that's on the shelf for me. And it kind of ignited a bit of a flame. And it was very quickly after that, that I started collaborating with people, founded Hawk and Cleaver. And it's just kind of accelerated from there. Well, I do think you should give us a little bit of an update in terms of where you are now, because it's a long way to go from a stage play <laughs> that turned into a novella and 60 books across multiple subgenres. So tell us, how did you transition into writing so many books and podcasting and everything you do now? Because it doesn't just go from, oh, I wrote a novella and it hit number <laughs> one in the charts and now I'm full time and everything's all good. Yeah, well, everything that starts out, everything that ends up big starts incrementally. So after that first book was launched, I ended up reaching out to another indie author who wrote a a dark sci-fi book. And it turned out that he was joining forces with two other authors, Ben Arrington, Luke Condor, and the author I reached out to was a guy called Matt Butcher. And they were starting a story studio called Hawk and Cleaver. And we jumped on a Zoom call Christmas 2015. And we were like, you know what, we love writing the same similar things. Maybe we can do this together, help promote each other and do it all under this unified brand. And I posted, uh, well, I, I suggested that we 
create an e-magazine of we each write a 1000 word short story once a month create an e-magazine we can publish on kindle because i knew how to do that and then that could be a way to to build up a bit of an audience while we were all writing other things and luke condor had a bit of a background in podcasting suggested that we made it a podcast and so we started writing for this podcast we got narrators in luke did a lot of the original editing and that podcast became the other stories which launched in 2016 and has now hit 10 million plus downloads over the past sort of seven years And along the way, I was working a full-time job until 2019, but I developed a practice of writing every morning, of putting out content, of just making it a priority for me to do alongside the rest of my life. So every morning I would get up and I'd write those words. And as I say, incrementally over time, I ended up publishing one book that turned into two. I then collaborated with Michael Anderley in his Cathedral Gambit universe and wrote five book series in that universe. And then went on to do three years of, of ghostwriting. And in 2020, I wrote 26 books in a single year. And so like, it all comes back to those humble beginnings. Like in the beginning, I I was writing 200 words a day-ish, like every other day. And then I just got so absorbed in it and really kind of did a lot of self-development, a lot of mindset work, which came on to form the foundation of the Activated Authors community that I run. And yeah, just as as I say, like everything that seems to be, because there is a lot to to look back on and go, I have done a fair bit now. I podcasted for several years as well and done well over 250 episodes across different podcasts. But it's chip away a little bit each day and in the end it all adds up. Yes, well, <laughs> I'm very impressed. If people say I do a lot, but you do even more. <laughs> also have a family, so you're a busy guy. Let's get into that word count because you said you were at 200 words a day or every couple of days. Now, I realise that some people don't write every day. I don't write every day. I tend to binge write. So when yes. I'm working on a project, I'll binge write. Other people obviously have family issues, health issues, mental health issues. So we're not saying you have to write every day. That's definitely not, not what we're saying. But in terms of you have a book for authors coming out later this year, yes, which is 50,000 words in 30 days. Give us some more tips for being prolific. Well, as you mentioned, it's about finding the pace of what works for you. I think there is some really good advice in the author community and there is some more toxic advice. And I do think that the whole write every day ethos, like you say, can work for some people. But I think sometimes it puts people off and makes them think they're not going to be a writer because they can't keep that pace. And so a lot of what I do when I'm coaching and working with authors is really trying to figure out how your life looks, how you're set up, because people have jobs with different schedules and routines. As you say, you've got family, you might have financial limitations, health problems, like not everyone can hit that pace every day. And so to be prolific for you, which is the key thing, because you should never compare yourself to other people is to understand who you are, what you do, and to find out the word counts that will fit you. So if that's 100 words a day, awesome. If that's 2,000 words a day, great. If that's 5,000 words on a weekend, then that's what works for you. And I think you need to be confident, own it, and be comfortable in those word counts. As I say, there is a lot of advice out there that is somewhat toxic. Like I do know authors that write 13,000 words a day, and I personally will cannot hit that consistently i've had big word days but every time i have a big word day it burns me out and then i do nothing the next day so it's it's really connecting with who you are giving yourself that grace to be a bit slower if you know that is your pace like there are people in my activated office community who write a thousand words a week and that's fine that works for them they publish books myself i've kind of gone from being a regular writer to being as you say a bit more of a binge writer with projects So if I'm in a project, I can definitely hit some bigger word counts, but then I'm sort of done for a few weeks. But getting to know yourself is certainly a big tip. Another really good tip is prioritizing your writing. So making an appointment with yourself, making a date with yourself to say at this time, at this date, in this place, I'm going to write. And that was something I had to do when I was first starting out because I had a full-time job. And the only time that I could fit in writing was, I think it was uh, half five, six in the morning. And then at seven, I'd have to get up and get the, the little boy ready and get ready for work. So that was something that I committed to myself, said to myself, this is happening. I want to publish books and this is what it's going to take for me. And then I think the biggest piece of advice I give, and it's normally the, the starting point of any time I'm in a consultation or coaching someone, is you need to ask yourself why you're doing it. Because if you are writing just because you think it's a quick way to make money, you're going to burn out quickly and the work probably isn't going to be worth the reward. But if you're like me and you love you love telling stories, like I love the idea of sort of leaving a legacy. I love reaching out to readers and like it becomes a compulsion that I now can't stop. Then you're creating a sustainable way to keep on going. And on those days when it's really, really, really hard and you're waking up bleary eyed and your alarm's going off and you're just like, oh, I can't be bothered today. Like you kind of just go, well, why am I doing it? And you might see that book a few months down the line. You might see yourself looking back on yourself when you're 80 and thinking, you know, I I made the most of this day. 
But having a really good reason as to why you're doing it is ultimately the fundamental component of how you create a sustainable career. And I, I laughed then when you said uh, those people who think it's a quick way to make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I know this is not a quick way to make money. <laughs> no, no. Nine years in and I'm still trying to make money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. And I, I feel like, well, people listening to this show understand if you want to write, you'll write. Like it, the money is if you want to do it full time, that's a different mm-hmm. thing. Obviously, both you and I do a lot of different things other than just write. But I did want to ask you because you write dark stories, as do I. But also, like me, on your nonfiction stuff, you're a happy, upbeat person. If people meet you at a convention or something, you're always smiling. And that's you and me as well. But we have this other side. So tell us more about why you write darker books and how you tap into that i love this question because it's definitely something i've been trying to verbalize and pin down and and work out myself and in the beginning i didn't really know i just wanted to tell darker stories i didn't know where it came from but over time uh what i've come to learn is that horror writers tend to be some of the loveliest people that you'll meet and we were just speaking beforehand that i've just been to stokercon which is a convention purely made of horror writers and it was one of the best times i've had at a conference and just everyone was lovely I think there's a few reasons why it's so cathartic to write horror. One of them being that there aren't really any limits to what you can write. And as someone who kind of likes to go through life sampling from every table and just experimenting and seeing all the different colours on the spectrum, having not to worry about what you're writing is quite a nice experience. It's freeing. So when you're writing your prose, you're not worried about swear words, you're not worried about sort of graphic material. It's just a place to play. And the other really thing, uh, good thing that I love about it as well is it is a place to exercise your demons. And I think a lot of the reason that horror writers are, are really nice people is because they put all of their demons onto the page. And one thing I certainly do is anything that's worrying me, any sort of tough times I've had, any sort of trauma I've been through, I then use that to fuel the stories. And in a way, it's kind of its own therapy, which is, as I say, just a really a really nice way to, to work through that in your mind and to put things down. So, I mean, there are a number of reasons. Um, <laughs> Like who doesn't play like playing with monsters and ghosts? Who doesn't like just going to the darkest edges of, of what's going on? But yeah, there's definitely a, a personal element of just therapy as well for me. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think put, putting the demons on the page, you're exactly right. Like lovely, lovely people, horror mm-hmm. writers. Yeah, <laughs> ironically. It is. It is kind of ironic, but it makes sense when you think about it. So do you write under different names do you find that you separate your time differently with the fiction and the non-fiction so I haven't purely because I didn't want to (laughs) overstretch what I was doing with different pen names I don't know if maybe I should have with certain projects but where I'm at where I am at the minute it's all under one name but I am looking at a different style of horror which I'm contemplating a pen name for but I haven't yet made that decision but that's mostly for sort of marketing purposes in the sense of like it's a middle grade horror a lot less dark a bit more pacey whereas like some of the stuff I like to write is a lot more wayfaring and rich prose and very very dark so I'm potentially contemplating those two different audiences just to make it a bit easier to sell those books but as I say I've not really made a decision on that yet because part of the reason that I choose to write is because I want to share the stuff that I do and so putting myself behind a pen name, because uh, this would be a totally different name, putting myself behind a pen name, I kind of feel like I'm hiding and I don't necessarily want to do that. But then I understand the marketing <laughs> value as mm. well. So once I figured that one out, I'll let you know. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, I published the first two or three novels under Joanna Penn and then realized that I needed to for my audience but also for myself like I do kind of schedule different time slots we talked you talked about that making an appointment with yourself I make Joanna Penn appointments and JF Penn appointments like I've got Catacomb monster book here on my (laughs) desk and that I have scheduled time for JF Penn editing and I wouldn't be able to do this interview with you after doing that kind of session so I I really yeah yeah, I really have to split my time but I did want to ask you because you've mentioned collaboration and Hawk and Cleaver and you mentioned Michael Andley and the collaborations. Now, I I have co-written a few novels and other books, and I do find it really hard. So I wondered if you would give us some tips around collaborating and co-writing and how you do that. Yeah, I think it all starts with, again, that question of why are you doing it? What is it you're hoping to achieve from the collaboration? And sort of the second biggest thing to go into a collaboration with is understanding that It's not going to be your book. I think a lot of people go into collaborations and they're like, I'm going to be able to write my story faster because I'm working with someone else. But what ends up happening is this beautiful magic in which you create an amalgam of 
both styles of writer the story kind of takes its own phrase and you really have to put your ego aside and say look this project isn't going to be typically how I process things because there's two people involved and so as I say there's a question of why there's also many many different ways to collaborate so I've done collaborations with Luke Condor incredible writer check him out lukeofcondor.com but I've done collaborations with him in which it was 50-50 in the sense of we worked on two novels at once. I wrote the first draft of one, he wrote the first draft of the other, and we kind of switched back and forth between drafts. So the story was very much both of our hands, very much in that story. The collaboration with Michael that you mentioned, he'd already built a world. He knew what that timeline was. There was a bunch of rules that you had to stick to so that the rest of the books made sense. And then I was allowed to create my own little sandbox in that world and play with it myself. And then there was just that approval at the end to make sure that it fitted where it needs to go. And then I've done a collaboration with Jay Thorne in his American Demon Hunter series. And that was taking his characters in his location and writing their story for him with my ideas. So there's all these different ways to collaborate. And it doesn't even have to stay within the writing zone. It could be one person writes, the other person edits. It could be one person does all the writing, the other person does all the marketing. I think the key to collaborating really is being open and honest with each other, being transparent with what you want, because the minute someone lies or someone misleads the other person, that is where it all starts falling flat. So if you can't meet a deadline that you say you're going to, that's an issue. If the project isn't entirely in line with the things you want to create and you feel like a collaboration will just make it happen quicker, that's a bad idea. I have seen some collaborations go south very, very quickly. And that has mostly just been because the expectations of each author are different and they haven't had that initial conversation. And I wrote a book back in 2020, I published it, a collaboration for authors. And within that, I I had all these different sections for the different stages of collaborating with another author. (laughs) And what very quickly happened was all of the pages about the setup before you've signed anything or agreed anything ended up being half of the book. Mm -hmm. The most important thing you can do is figure everything out up front, like go into detail on finance, marketing, writing, timelines, any problems you might foresee. Because if you can do that before you've fully agreed and committed, then half of the problems are gone. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, I've also co-written with Jay Thorne in that same universe. And we wrote wrote Risen Gods together and also co-writing for authors together. So, But it's interesting. I've written some nonfiction, co-written. And on the one hand, I like it. And on the other hand, I find it really hard because, as you say, we're control freaks. We like our own stories. But here's another point is that, yes, I agree, you have to get your contract sorted up front. But then the money is split between two of you or however many you do. So I basically have found that those books don't make me as much money. So therefore Mm -hmm. I don't promote them as much. So how do you deal with that business side of co-writing? Are you just so prolific? It doesn't matter because you have so many books. Yeah. I mean, the collaborations aren't the ones that make me the most money. I mean, obviously the books I did with Michael have been very, very helpful because he's a giant in the space that he's currently working in. But no, there is definitely something about having two names on the cover that can put people off. And I'm not sure about the psychology behind that or what that is. And I have seen quite a few authors who, if they are collaborating, will generally create a pseudonym or a pen name for themselves. So it looks like one author, but it's actually two, sometimes three. So yeah, I mean, I will say that they're probably not the most lucrative in terms of making money and earning that back. But yeah, I've been publishing books pretty much solid since 2014. So having that regular rhythm, that regular schedule definitely helps. And I'm doing a lot of work at the minute with creating a series of standalones within horror that will keep the read through going between different books to hopefully also help increase some of the income. But yeah, I mean, collaborations are, they're a lot of fun, but yeah, they're each one is absolutely different. Some can be more a struggle than others. And also, yeah, just, I will say a warning to anyone, the admin side of it is a bit of a headache. Mm. Yeah, although uh, thanks to Drafter Digital, who yes. now have payment splitting, and uh, I did that with Mark Leslie LeFave. But you mentioned there a series of standalone in horror, which everyone's like, what? What is a series of standalone? <laughs> Explain that, because of course, in horror, a lot of books are standalone because like a lot of people die. There's no one left. <laughs> yes. So give us, what is a series of standalone? Well, so I've been trying to get my head around this for the last sort of two, three years, because I, I wrote a serialized novel in 2020 that was turned out it was six novellas that over I released one a month started building a bit of an audience and then like you say at the end everyone dies so (laughs) where do you go from there and I've kind of just been doing a lot of looking into how people sustain horror series because there are examples out there of people who've kept series going so you can look at The Shining and then Doctor Sleep as kind of a sequel very very short series you can look at things like R.L. Stein's Goosebumps which are obviously aimed at much much younger readers 
but there are a lot of examples of authors out there that are creating standalones, but within a either a brand or a universe. So there's Jeremy Bates is one person who. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like the scary world, scariest legends or something. Mm. And it's got a bunch of books in that series. And even though they're all standalone, the branding tells the reader that they're written by the same author. They're in the same sort of tone. They have a uniformity on the stories without each story being connected, which I think is a really, really smart way to do that. So that's something that I'm creating and playing with at the minute. I'll say this because I've already seen a few other people doing this. So I thought I had a really unique idea, but every idea is unique when you're doing it yourself. But I mentioned obviously Goosebumps is a series of standalone. And so one of the things I'm working on at the minute is a Goosebumps inspired series for adults. So for the much more sort of older horror reader, a series of interconnected shorter novellas. I say interconnected, not story-wise, but branded together so that they're written in a very particular style readers know what they're going to get they're much faster pacier reads and as i say when it comes to these it's definitely the branding that's going to be the most important thing to sell that to people so you know that if you pick up book one you could pick up book eight and you'll still have the same experience but an entirely different story yeah it is tough i was actually looking at jeremy bates's books because my book's called catacomb and whenever you have a one word title you're going to overlap with someone else's one word title (laughs) and he has one of his world's scariest places or whatever is is catacombs and yeah i've read a a few of his books and they're they're fantastic so i do think we can all look at series options so i i like that but we mentioned at the beginning that you do a lot and you do so i wondered how do you manage your time because i know it can be hard to juggle so much and i would say as someone who is a few years ahead of you that one of the things that has happened to me is I have had to drop things over time Mm -hmm. because I realize I haven't got time for everything or I need to spend time on the things that are really the main thing that I need to do so how do you juggle everything and how do you manage your time so it's very fortuitous timing that you ask this question but I'll say before I kind of dive into the reality of the situation so I've kind of got two thoughts on this that have changed over the last couple of years the first one is productivity comes in seasons So what I have found is that there are certain points in which I am incredibly productive. 2020 was definitely one of them. Uh, I can't think why that might be. Uh, (laughs) So that was very productive. But then I also see my own productiveness as a bit of an accordion. So what I mean by that is that like I will generally slim loads of stuff down until I feel that I have capacity. And then over time, I'll gently take more and more and more on until I'm sort of right stretched out. Can't take any more. And then I squeeze it all back in and uh, try to, to slim it out so I can focus again. But as of when was it? So I do do a lot. And one of the things I'm definitely trying to do is slim down on that. And I know that you've been a big proponent of books that sort of encourage no and, and slimming back. And I've read a few of those. But a perfect example of why that's important is that I actually ended up in hospital in March of this year, having a stress slash anxiety attack, which I thought was a heart attack. And that was a combination of work. That was a combination of like personal life circumstances, because there's a lot going on in the personal life as well. And this kind of comes back to what we're saying about your life and your way because everyone has their own capacity depending around what it is they're doing and I pushed mine a bit too far so there are lessons learned and I think one of the things I teach a lot is the idea of going narrow and deep on the subject rather than wide and shallow on about 10 different ones but my problem is I'm just an incredibly ambitious individual so I'll (laughs) I will get very excited about an idea and I will just run with it and I know that you're a proponent these days of the Clifton Strengths model and one of well two of mine are activator and ideation so i will come up with an idea for something and i will want to just execute it straight away and i'll get incredibly excited about that idea and i will just go for it and what i'm learning is that i need to slow that down and really kind of put some brakes on myself uh, contemplate what it is that i'm doing and whether or not that serves a bigger goal and even over the past well, few months since the incident in the hospital i've incredibly narrowed down what my big goals are because i've realized that I can't do it all. And more importantly, I I shouldn't do it all, especially if I want to make this a sustainable career and not (laughs) end up back in hospital again. So creating very, very stringent, like one big goal, two big goals, at most three big goals, and then creating small pathways to get to those without getting too distracted, which is, again, for people like me, incredibly hard. But this is also one of the reasons that I create the Activator Author Matrix, which is a free resource people can download on the activatedauthors.com website. It's because I was giving a lot of thought into what the different areas of life as an author are. So not just about the writing, but about the health, the social life, all the different components of what makes you you so that you can try and put those in balance and try and keep pushing forward without hurting yourself. And again, speaking of someone that has been there, I find it incredibly useful. Yes. And 
thank you for talking about that. And I think it's important for us all to talk about that. And I mean, there aren't many authors who are professionals who haven't had some kind of uh, of these incidents. I mean, for yes. me, it was more that I ended up with shoulder a really bad shoulder injury from like the posture that we sit in, the kind of mm-hmm. hunched posture, not just from writing, but from 20 years in IT as well. And <laughs> so I worked like this morning, I was working out with my personal trainer. I do weights twice a week. I do walking and things. And you include health on one of the aspects of your for activation matrix so that's one of the things what are yes. some of the other things that you think are important well so the five categories i've got down here are general health social authorship and outlook so general is kind of encompassing just feelings and how you are on a day-to-day so there's things like mood in there but there's gratitude how grateful are you for the things that you currently have are you taking time to be appreciative of what you do have rather than what you don't Things like joy are in there. And I've even put finances in there because finances, as you'll no doubt know, massively affects that underlying level of tension and anxiety you might feel on a daily basis. Under health, there's things like hydration, nutrition, exercise, sleep, even just going outside and getting some sunshine. And then there's a social element that's got how are your relationships with your family, with your friends or with any partnerships that can be romantic or important work partnerships. Uh, And there's a section for authorship, which is how creative do you feel? Are you doing stuff for self-development? How's your publishing? How's your marketing? That's a bit more sort of boiling down into the operational logistics of running your author business. And then outlook is just as simple as how are you currently feeling now? And how are you feeling about your, how optimistic or pessimistic are you for the future that you've got coming up? So it's kind of, it's quite holistic, but what I do is I've got each category is, is labeled one to 10. And then as you go through, you circle what number you're on, where you feel you are in in these particular areas. And then at the end, you get given a score. And the idea isn't to win or lose the score. It's literally just to give you a baseline of where you're at so that you can look back in a week, two weeks time and say, okay, I've taken action on this one. My number's improving. That means I'm paying attention to the areas I'm letting drop. Yeah, it's interesting. I like the Clifton Strengths because the focus is more leaning into our strengths. Mm -hmm. But that the matrix you talk about obviously there'll be some numbers we're weak on we cannot be st- strong on everything so Absolutely. what kind of person are you are you a kind of optimize your strengths or fix your weaknesses because we can't do everything no i think i i'm definitely optimize my strengths is where i've kind of gotten to because i mean i i got this principle from gary vaynerchuk and some of the stuff that he said all over his instagram all the time with his incredibly enthusiastic accent but yeah i i like the idea of leaning into the things that you do well in and sometimes that's difficult especially if you're running a a solo author business obviously you've got to be able to cover a lot of different areas and some that you might not be as good in but if you can afford it if you can get the help or even if you've got sort of volunteer partners or collaborators that can help you balance out what those weaknesses are then that will help you create a more sort of rounded experience I mean something that I found incredibly useful and this is going a bit more back to the old day job is a model that I came across called it was called the t-shaped marketing model and the idea was that you create Similarly to the activated, the author matrix, you create a baseline of all the different categories that are critical to your business. So it could be finance, it could be marketing, it could be writing. And then you give yourself kind of a score in terms of like along the line. It's hard to do by, by audio only, but I, people check out the T-shaped marketing model. And then it highlights what you're strong in and anything that you're weak in, you can then look for other people to bring in to inflate those, to bring those up so that you've got a bit more of a rounded business that you can then run. So yeah, I, I tend to lean into my strengths a lot more but Mm. when I can I do try and educate myself on the things I might be a bit weaker on well you do have marketing under authorship and I feel like this is a non-negotiable weakness that authors (laughs) have to sort out (laughs) you you actually can't leave that sorry everyone I mean you can hire people but you can only really do that at a point in your career where you can afford it so as an author of fiction and non-fiction give us some of your tips for both of those and how are they different I mean, there are some similarities and there's definitely like a lot of differences. So my fiction tends to center around like one of the big pauses is my reader magnets. I've got a number of those for different series, different books that I put out. And I do a lot of newsletter swaps. I'm very, very prolific on story origin as a resource, which I, I highly recommend to anyone looking to try and build up their mailing list and just get readers into their funnel. I do a lot of swaps just to stay connected with other authors and to reach new readers and a lot of the fiction stuff, it has to be regular. You have to be putting out newsletters somewhat regularly. Again, whatever that looks like for you. So it could be monthly, weekly, bi-monthly. So all these different strategies and rhythms and times to create the fiction promotion. 
And one of the big things is just keep writing good books because if someone enjoys the reader experience, then hell yeah, they're going to buy another book from you. And if they reach out to you, absolutely write something back because nothing pleases a reader more than actually hearing back from the people that they enjoy reading from. Um, and then nonfiction, it's somewhat similar, although I tend to do a lot of things like this, you know, podcasts, hop on different interviews, network and speak to different people. If I'm at events, I'll speak to different people and try and see what they've going on and see if there's any sort of cross-promotional opportunities. I have the Activated Authors podcast, which I run with Samantha Frost. And we do that. We're on a little bit of a hiatus at the minute, but we run that pretty much every week discussing all the different areas of author life. We sometimes have interviews. And I do think podcasting is a very, very good vehicle to bring people into a nonfiction environment. And that's one of the reasons I created Activated Authors was because, well, I say I, I created it, the, the community basically begged me to make it happen. But, you know, running something like a podcast or doing small events or challenges and things, it gives it gives people a chance to get to know you to hear your voice, to get familiar with you. And I'm sure that you're more than familiar with this. The amount of time someone will come up to you and they'll know who you are. So they talk to you like an old friend and you've never seen that person before in your life. Mm. So any opportunity to connect with people, to reach out, to just get a bit of exposure and share who you really are, is fantastic with nonfiction. And particularly my, what I kind of say with my brand in nonfiction is I prioritize authenticity, honesty, and just the reality behind the author journey. So Activated Authors is all about supporting authors, no sort of screens, no smoke screens about what it is to be an author. We're very honest. We all support each other and it's kind of a wonderful environment to be in. So the thing that I find with marketing is there are very, very general principles, which everyone knows. It's just everyone's very reluctant to put the work in to make it happen because obviously we want to be writers and that's kind of why people get into the writing business in the first place. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, the email list <laughs> still mm-hmm. still rules. Reigns um, supreme. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I, I did want to come back on something you said earlier. You talked about being ambitious mm-hmm. and you've obviously been doing this now almost a decade. So tell us a bit more about ambition, because I feel like a lot of us have ambition and we might be just slightly ashamed of it, especially being British. It's like, oh, it's just not done to kind of talk that way. <laughs> yeah. Americans are fine, but we struggle. So talk a bit about ambition and how you're weaving these kind of longer term ambitions into the short term need to make some money. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. So I I ended up doing a lot of sort of self-development work around what would have been 2013 through to 2017. And that was a mix of reading a bunch of nonfiction books. People like Gary Vaynerchuk are very inspirational for that. Brené Brown. Glennon Doyle, Elizabeth Gilbert, like all the big magic, those sort of books are like fantastic for helping you, I guess, come to terms with your own ambition and the fact that this is your life to lead. I think without going on a whole sort of soapbox, one of the big disadvantages of especially being British is is the school system is, is bred to teach you to comply and that anything outside of the norm is unwanted, unacceptable and kind of something to be ashamed about. And I I kind of came around to probably in my late teens, maybe just a little after, but the idea that I'm only going to be here once, I'm only going to live on this planet once if you know what I believe to be true is true. And so I try not to hold back from anything that I want to do. And part of that is, well, there's many kind of components to that, but one of them is accepting that you're probably going to fail to begin with, or that things are going to be hard when you first learn them. Over the years, I've taught myself guitar, piano, juggling, I'm learning coding for video games and things at the minute, taught myself how to write novels and scripts and short stories tried painting tried drawing like i've tried a lot of different things even if i've sucked at it just to give it a go and to understand i mean i've literally bought a little crochet kit at the minute so i can try and make my kid a crochet buzz Lightyear because i want to see if i can do that skill but it's accepting that you're not going to be good to begin with and that it's got to take work and that's just part of the process and because i'm very much gotten to the point that i you know we, we all fall prey to it sometimes but for the most part i don't compare myself to other people i'm hyper aware that my journey is different to anyone else's number one individualization back to the Clifton strengths. But I'm so aware that my, my journey is different that it really doesn't bother me what other people think of me. So I've gotten to a point now where I can experiment and write a stupid story and put that out there. A couple of times I've done some live writing in which I've written the first draft of a story just in front of people and let them see that. Um, I've shared my first ever first draft of my first ever novel with people inside activated authors because that was Dan from 2014. That's nothing to do with me now. Like I've put in the work. So ambition comes from, I guess, a desire to live a life well lived. But also in order to do that, you have to just be very, very aware that like no one can tell you no, only you can tell you no, you know, in a way without getting arrested. 
but you're the only one that can really stop yourself from doing things. So again, like I've kind of taught myself small bits of languages and I want to learn more of that. I play lots of different sports, but it's never evolving journey. And I just want to have fun and I want to see what I can do in the time that I have. But do you have any specific author related ambitions? Yeah. I mean, I want to win a Bram Stoker. That'll be awesome, which is a weird one because I'm not fueled by approval. But I think I, I need a goal in that regard. But kind of to go on that journey, as I say, I've recently just come back from StokerCon. I sat in the Bram Stoker Awards this year, met a lot of nominated authors, spoke to a few award-winning authors. And so I'm putting in the work to find out how that happens and to see what that looks like and anything I can do to make it. Because no matter what you want to do, there is somewhat a path to there. I mean, you'll struggle if you're, and not to say that this hasn't happened, but you'll struggle if you're four foot and you're trying to dunk in the NBA. So there are certain limits to ambitions, but for the most part, there's a path to try and get to where you want to go. The hard part is about figuring what that path is and allowing yourself to stumble along the way. Absolutely. So yeah, I definitely, I want the award. I've got a few ambitions to speak in bigger venues and bigger arenas and just to try and spread the message of a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about, because I think it's hyper important. And honestly, a lot of people don't talk about the tougher times and the realities of being an author. I kind of hear too many interviews where people are like, oh, yeah, my first book went amazing. And now I'm writing every day and it's wonderful because I'm like, you're lying. (laughs) There's something that you're holding back that for some reason you're scared to share. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is the historical way. But I mean, I think on this show, we we keep it real. <laughs> oh, 100%. That's why I've listened to you for nine years. <laughs> yeah, and I think people come back because of the difficult times as well. It's not yes. just, you know, they, they're going to get different things here. But no, thank you for sharing. So where can people find you and your books and your podcasts and everything you do online? So three main places for me. There's danielwilcox.com and that's W-I-L-L-C-O-C-K-S. There's activatedauthors.com for anyone who wants to come over and see the author community, which I have recently made free. So if anyone wants to jump over into that, that's at that website. And then for anything for some nice horror every Monday into your podcast feed, that's at theotherstories.net. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Dan. That was great. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. So I hope you found the discussion with Dan useful and that it helps you reflect on your creative and business processes, as well as your mindset for the long term. Also, consider the questions raised by the demise of Twitter. Even if you don't care about Twitter itself as such, how does the end of a very powerful media brand and social network change things? And what are the platforms and companies where such a shift would affect you? Now, remember also, I would love you to be part of my shadow survey for my next nonfiction book about writing. Just go to jfpen.com forward slash shadow survey. Links in the show notes. And if you'd like to check out Catacomb, head on over to jfpenbooks.com. Or in fact, if you'd like to check out any of my fiction, go to jfpenbooks.com. Use discount code LAUNCH, all caps, to get 15% off ebook and print editions for up until the end of August 2023. So next week, I'm talking about the book marketing mindset shift and the power of ad stacking with Ricky Woolman. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.